please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We're in Luke chapter 13 today, beginning at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When she saw Jesus, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, a synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter, but not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I do not know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today, tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. 
In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem of Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Hey, I'm Tim. I'm lead pastor here. It's really good to be together. And you made it through four minutes of reading through the book of Luke. Um, if you transported yourself and thought you were in, an, in the midst of an audiobook recording, you're not. That's just, that's how we're rolling right here right now. We're teaching through the book of Luke. Two things uh, real quick. First, um, can we just thank uh, Chris for leading us this morning up here on uh, back there? Uh, great job, Chris. I, uh, Chris has been up on stage leading in a bunch of different roles in the back in the booth. He's been a leader in training. This is his second year. I think we've got uh, four leaders in training right now uh, at Mosaic, and Chris is in his second year. Um, and just great to have, to well, actually, Maya was a leader in training, and Patrick back there was. And so to be led by people that we've seen uh, grow and, and just mature into their gifts and serve our church family is just a gift. And so, Chris, just thanks. Um, and you look real sharp, too, as well. Hey, uh, second thing is this. Um, it's good to be with you uh, in church. For those of us that are in the building, if you're at home watching, it's good to be with you as well um, on a national holiday uh, to be gathered here. And we're not off on in different places yet. Um, if you didn't know, today is the Super Bowl. I just feel obligated to mention it. Just want to get it out there. Um, and so here's an interesting fact. I read this this morning. And, uh, I think it was in the New York Times. Uh, the Super Bowl has become, get this, one of the unique moments in our country when the most people are doing the same thing at the same time. We don't even celebrate New Year's at the same time. We celebrate three hours you know, different across, across time zones, right? But more people are doing the same thing watching a football game or watching a concert that's got two halves of a football game on either side or watching funny commercials at the same time in their homes or wherever, wherever they're at. And uh, that's just pretty fascinating. That's so many, I don't even know how many millions and millions of people it is. Um, I also read that uh, there are two commercials. I think it's, I'm assuming it's within the game. It's millions and millions of dollars were spent um, that are specifically talking about Jesus in the way that we talk about Jesus and the Jesus that we find in scripture that are gonna be played during the Super Bowl. Now that's, that's kind of wild. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, a marketing campaign called He Gets Us. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, it was actually test run in a couple cities. Portland was one of them about a year or two ago. Test run, and then it's been running for about a year uh, kind of nationwide. And so regardless of what you think about that and don't let your mind go too wild on all you know, that goes into that, just that's kind of interesting. And Jesus is gonna be talked about in the midst of the Super Bowl at least twice. And um, Jesus has enough money, so I think the bill's covered. But um, that just is kind of, that, that struck me. So. Who knows, somebody might actually come to faith. Um, they might have bet all their money and lose and then just go, I need a savior and find Jesus in a commercial. That would be pretty awesome. Or just think, I, this is not fulfilling it and, and I'm gonna start asking some deeper spiritual questions. I just thought that was interesting. So take that for what it's worth. But 
We're going to jump into the book of Luke. Uh, Chris just read uh, a whole lot of verses. Uh, we're going to hit some of those as we continue to move through, but I'm going to invite you to pray with me, uh, and then we'll open up scripture together. God, you have been declared in this space and time already as good and as just and as powerful. And we have cried out to you when we look around the world and see things that don't make sense and we feel powerless against and know that you see it. And although we have questions and pain related to those kinds of things, we, we look to you in these times and you meet us where we're at. And so God, we declare that you are good and righteous and merciful and powerful in this time and place. And Holy Spirit, as we're here, as we're gathered in your space and in your time, would you do a new work in us? Some of us know exactly what we need you to do. Others of us need to be surprised and, and shocked and woken up in a bit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, would you wake us up? Would you stir in us? Would you work and move in this time and space right now? And Jesus, singing a song that talks about things that you have already done and things that we need you to do, that we need you to get our heart beating again and in step with you. Things you've already done, you've moved stones, you've conquered death and risen again, that we need you to break through again today. And so as we look to your word, we're listening to your voice and your voice alone. Would you speak to us and guide us? Lead us and teach us in this moment. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to start with a little bit of a, um, uh, just a question, kind of thought experiment, maybe. Uh, what, think, think with me if you would, what is, what is your perfect day? Not one in, not one in like in the past, but as you, if you could think about with, with no limitations, your perfect day. What would, what would that be? As you think about that, uh, you probably immediately think about who you want to be a part of your perfect day. Uh, let me say that another way. You might immediately think about who you do not want to be a part of your perfect day. Um, I've learned this over the, the years of, of being uh, married uh, and, and having a family, being a dad, uh, and partnering with a mom, uh, that... Uh, our ideas of perfect days are not always the same. They don't line up. Like sometimes Abby's perfect day is not seeing or hearing from me at all or anyone else. Um, so that might be your perfect day. You might go, oh, this is who I don't want around. Um, you might think about what you want to have happen. And if there's no boundaries, it might be like, I want to teleport to Paris and just spend the day walking around and eating pastries or something. Uh, it might be uh, climbing a mountain or going on a hike or conquering something. Uh, it might be uh, spending the day catching up with somebody that you haven't been with in, you know, in, in physical proximity for, for, for too long. I, we, we, if we were given the freedom to, to design and experience our perfect day, we would be able to do that fairly easily. Uh, some of you are maybe like more engineer types. You're already like building categories and spreadsheets to make a decision of which thing you would eliminate and which thing you would keep if you had 24 hours to experience the perfect day. But we could do that. We would come up with that. But if you had the perfect day, it would be, it would be who you're with or who you're not with. It would be what you would do. It would be where you would go. It would be when this would happen and how you would manage the time. All those things would be thought through and you would experience your perfect day. The Bible has a word for this, where you have a, a, a time, 
a moment, a day, where what you want to have happen, happens. You determine it, you decide it, you're the judge of it. There's a word that the Bible has for that. The word is kingdom. The word is kingdom. Where what you want to have happen, happens, means that is your kingdom for however short or long that might be, for whatever happens in that time and space with who and what happens, that is your kingdom. The Bible talks about kingdom as a place where a person decides what will happen and that actually happens. In whatever realm that takes place in, that is a kingdom. And today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at three different kingdoms and then we're gonna have to pick one. We're gonna look at three different kingdoms and then we're gonna have to decide which is the one that we're in and which is the one that we want to be in. What are the two that we don't want to be in? Three kingdoms, one choice. That's, that's where we're headed. A whole lot of verses, but that's where we're headed. Three kingdoms, one choice. Let's start with Jesus' kingdom first. We're in chapter 13 of Luke. We've been working our way through this. this it's called uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke is the third one. We've been working through it for a little over a year. We're in chapter 13. We're gonna be done by the end of summer, believe it or not. Jesus has already talked about his kingdom a lot. We're gonna start with his kingdom. That's gonna be the first of the three. What, some of the things, I, there's just a, a list here of things that have already come up about Jesus's kingdom. In fact, this is not even one he said, this was said about him when, before he was even born. An angel shows up and tells his mom, Mary, that the child that she's going to bear is going to have a kingdom and that kingdom will never end. That's the first time we see the word in the book of Luke is a kingdom that will never end. Later on, Jesus, as he's, as he's walking around teaching and talking to people, says repeatedly, I'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And that's Jesus's uh, agenda. That's his topic. That's what Jesus is talking about when it says he teaches with authority and he walks around and he meets his disciples and he meets other people and he debates with teachers of the law and Pharisees and all these people. He's talking about the kingdom, his kingdom. And it's good news that the kingdom is there and that happens over and over again. And then he says this, he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom. And that's a little bit of a curveball because you would think if, you know, if somebody's gonna experience Jesus' kingdom, they're no longer poor, they're, they're rich. He says this, knowledge of, of, the, of secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. He says that to his disciples. Those that are closest to him, he says, you know the secrets of the knowledge of, of the kingdom. And he says this, you have been sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So you got some secrets, you've heard about it, now you go tell other people. He says that you can see. You can see the kingdom of God. You can serve in the kingdom of God. He says one sign that, that, is, that is seen is that the sick are healed and demons are cast out. And when those things happen, that's, that's the kingdom showing up. Jesus says that he gives the kingdom to us and then maybe this one will sound familiar. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, when Jesus teaches us to pray, when we learn how to pray, one of the models that we have is that we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus has talked a ton about the kingdom up until this point in the book of Luke. We can understand that the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, when he says he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, he's bringing the kingdom, we're invited into the kingdom. When he talks about the kingdom over and over, what he's talking about is when God's will happens 
in a time and space with people. When what God wants to have happen, happens, that's a, that's a spot that the kingdom shows up in. And it's beautiful, just in the, in the book of Luke, but we can look throughout the rest of the New Testament as well, is that we have these beautiful signs of, of things and, and it resonates with us. We said, I, I actually want that same thing. I want people who are sick to be healed. I want people who are demon-possessed to not have demons control them anymore. I want people who are in pain to not have pain anymore. I want those things too. And that's when God's kingdom shows up is when those kinds of things happen. And when God's will is done in our existence, in our world, we see a glimpse of the kingdom. Now, Jesus says this in our text today. He says in, in, in verse 18, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Magnificent thing that Jesus has been talking about and demonstrating and teaching about and sharing and coaching people to pray for. And he says, I'm going to compare it to something. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, an example of what it is, like a metaphor of what it is. And he uses a mustard seed and he uses yeast. And it's, it's kind of cool. He picks one for a guy and one for a gal. And in that culture, obviously, there's more stereo, what we would call more stereotypical things. But he says, okay, like, like a guy, he takes a, a seed and he plants it. But he picks the most, like the smallest delicate seed he can imagine, a mustard seed, and he plants it. And, it. and it doesn't grow into something small. It actually grows into something large. And there's a debate on if it's a tree that's like there's some kind of, I don't know, phylum class species of a tree that's 10 feet tall. And then there's another one that's like 25 feet tall. And so whether it's a 10-foot tall one or a 25-foot one, it, it can hold birds. That's the point. It's a big enough thing that grows from this tiny mustard seed that birds can hang out in there. And it's not like a little tiny bird, but it's like a, a, a number of birds. And Jesus is giving this picture of this little tiny thing that grows into this thing that's big enough that animals can come and hang out in it and like, like perch in it. And you're like, well, that's, that's kind of fascinating. We can measure the weight and, you know, how, you know, birds don't weigh very much and all that. But that's, I mean, that's, a, that's something... But it's this, it's this metaphor. He's actually pointing to the kingdom is like this little thing that starts, but then it spreads. And there's imagery there that goes back into the Old Testament. And what he's saying is like, all people, all people are invited into the kingdom of God. And there's this imagery throughout the Old Testament that birds represent different people groups. And if all birds come, there's birds that are beyond just the ones that Jesus is talking to, the, the ethnic group that Jesus is talking to at the time, the Jewish people. He says, this is this little tiny thing, but it's going to grow. And then the yeast, a little bit of the yeast works itself through. I have no concept of how much 60 pounds of, what is it, flour? 60 pounds of flour is. Like, I don't, I don't like, I, don't, I just don't know how big that is. So like, is it, is it like a woman that's like, like really working this thing and that takes like a week to get it all through there, but it gets through all through. It's a little bit of yeast gets through and it permeates through and what is it? the dough eventually rises. And a little tiny thing like yeast that you can almost hardly see then has this massive effect that happens on this 60 pounds of, of flour. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And the reason that he's, he's using these examples and he's talking about it right now, because it has just showed up. 
And he doesn't want his disciples to miss it because the kingdom of God has just shown up and he says, hey, don't miss this. This is what it's like. And the way that it's just shown up is that a, a crippled woman was just healed. And so a crippled woman is just healed and then Jesus says, don't miss it. This is the kingdom. But let's look at the, 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 the healing that has just happened. He, see, it's on the Sabbath and Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. And then he notices, I mean, we don't know how many people are in there, but he notices a woman who's been crippled for 18 years, which means in the village that he is in, everybody knows her name, everybody knows her situation, everyone had probably at some point helped her across the street. This is just part of life here, that this woman is crippled and bent over at the back, and there's actually a condition that it probably is, and everybody who had any kind of medical training would have examined her over those years and tried to recommend either therapy that she could have done or some kind of ointment that they could have rubbed on it to hopefully fix it or relieve it, but it, it, it probably was her, her vertebrae had fused in a certain way. And that's just her life was determined it was going to be like this. And we're told in the story that Jesus notices her, calls her out, and heals her, and we don't have anything that she says. We have other stories with guys that are like blind and like screaming, Jesus, come find me and heal me. We've got guys that are, are, can't walk, that are crippled and have friends that rush them to Jesus. This lady was standing in the back row and Jesus noticed her and calls her out and says, I'm gonna heal you, heals her. It happens to be on the Sabbath and so we have this from the religious leaders, verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, so imagine that, Jesus is up teaching, heals a woman, like, like we want that to happen. We want people to be healed now. What would we do if somebody was healed? We actually have people in our church family right now and connected to our church family that we are praying for physical healing. And when there is like the, the slightest uptick in improvement, oh, we share it and text it and email it and smile and and pray again and say, thank you, God, for just that. Can you imagine if somebody who we all know couldn't stand up straight, all of a sudden was healed, what we would do? Like we would cheer and we would throw a party and we would sing and we would laugh and we, I don't know what else we would do, but we would celebrate. Imagine a religious leader walking up and saying, like, hey, there's six other days. Don't come get healed on this day. This is the Sabbath, Monday through Saturday, but Sunday is, would be a kind of our Sabbath. Like, don't do that. This Yahoo, I know he's healed her and that's all exciting stuff. Not this day. We got other stuff to do, like teach. We're only going to teach and you're only going to learn and that's what's going to happen. Wow, he, I mean, great guy. Like, let's hang out with that guy. Like, I, the scene is like hilarious and Jesus, because Jesus is just smarter than all of us, he's got to just be smirking and saying, I set that guy up perfectly. He just fell right on that one. And Jesus steps back up and he says, to the leader. You hypocrites. Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox and donkey and stall and lead it out and give it water. Then not this woman as a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. He just calls him out and says, you don't want me. It doesn't, it doesn't cost me anything to heal. Like I don't have like a, a healing reserve that I'm going to wear out. It doesn't cost me anything. I'm not tired after I heal. I can just heal her. And you guys are worried about doing anything because you're following all your rules, but yet you go outside and you pay attention to and you take care of animals. And this is a daughter of Abraham. This is a child of God. This is an image bearer of the creator God of the universe. 
and I have an opportunity to heal her and you're complaining? Like, this makes no sense. Like, what are you doing? Calls them out for hypocrites. But what we see here is the second kingdom. What we see here is Jesus' kingdom coming in conflict with Satan's kingdom and that they can't in any way coexist, that they will always be in battle with one another. And while there's a medical explanation for what this woman was experiencing, that if she was here in our modern day, we would know exactly what it is. We would have scans and we could tell and we would know exactly what it is and would be diagnosable. Jesus says, yes, there is that, but this is also a sign of Satan's influence in this world. And he attaches it explicitly to Satan, that Satan has bound her for 18 years. And there is power that Satan has in this world. There's this, this verse that we often refer to. I want us to look at it now. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against flesh and blood, but it's not only against flesh and blood. Our primary struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is not meant to say authorities in whatever context that you are in. This is meant to say there are powers that are beyond the physical material world. There's something else of our existence than what we can measure in a beaker or with a ruler in this material physical world. There is something else going on and this is what Jesus is talking about. And he says, Satan is at work. And Satan is at work at one thing, combating and fighting against the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, where what God wants done is done. Satan is for what Satan wants done is done. And those two kingdoms will not coexist. They will only battle against each other. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I have the power in this moment, in this woman's life, in this village's life, to squeeze out the kingdom of Satan and bring in the kingdom of heaven a little bit more. And Jesus is saying, there are two kingdoms here. There is my kingdom that I'm training you and inviting you to pray. My kingdom come, my will be done. And it is always gonna be against the evil forces in this world that Satan is pulling the triggers of as Satan is influencing. Those are parts of this world. There are many other parts of the world, but these are two kingdoms that are constantly battling for one another. The response is important. Verse 17 says this. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. So the dude that stepped up and was like, hey, come on a different day to get healed. Healing is other days, not today. Was humiliated. He was exposed, called out as a hypocrite. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing but the people were delighted with all of the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. I want us to, to do something together for a moment. There's, there's the reality of what those people would have experienced, and I wonder if there's a bit of a parallel for our reality today. The reality that they would have experienced would have been in a synagogue in that moment listening to Jesus, they would have seen the conflict between the religious leader and Jesus. They would, have, they would have heard Jesus declare that there's a conflict between him and Satan. And they would have walked out of the synagogue onto the streets of a village that is part of a nation that is ruled 
by an entirely different power, an empire, not a kingdom, but a human empire. And they're listening to this guy, Jesus, who is, who is just kind of getting known. He's, he's not quite, he's kind of had these little viral moments, but he's not quite gone viral yet. But, but he's getting known and people are talking about him and people are clamoring to get close to him. But they're still under the power and the rule and the reign of this empire. And yet it says they, when their whole society and their whole way of life was not what they intended, it says that they were delighted in the things they were seeing in Jesus. And I wonder if our parallel today is a little bit that in our existence, at our time, in this moment in history, in our city, in our culture, that we can walk out and we can, we can see what's around us. And there was a time when it was really easy to walk around and see a lot of good things. But it seems like that's a little bit harder right now. It seems like the things that we immediately see when we look around remind us of the brokenness that is all around us, of, of the unhealth that so many people live in, the broken relationships and addictions and unemployment and evictions and fleeing from abusive situations and a, and a, and a government that, that struggles to maintain and to care for the needs and the people in our city. And that's not even mentioned to, to go wider to our whole nation, but to look around and then to look specifically as a follower of Jesus and to say there are so many things that are counter to the kingdom of heaven, that are counter to the good news of Jesus. And I wonder what it would be like for us to be delighted in the things that we see Jesus doing and to stop and to take a moment and to go, where is it that I see Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God breaking in? And we can look far and wide around the globe and that's, that's a worthwhile step to take. But I wonder if we just look really close to home and we look right in our own city and right in our own church and start looking around and go, where is it that we see God's kingdom breaking in? I wrote down a, a whole mess of them. I won't read them all because we don't necessarily have enough time. There's a, there's a group in our, our church, a group of people that live roughly in the same neighborhood and one of the things that joins them together that they've realized is that they all work out in the same gym. And so they have decided that God has put them there, not just to, to get in shape, to have fun and to get sweaty, but God's put them there because there's a whole bunch of people that work out in that gym that don't know Jesus and live lives that are very, very far from Jesus, but not very, very far from our friends that work out there. And so they've covenanted together. We're gonna pray for the people in this gym that we see and work out with all the time. And we're gonna trust that God's gonna use those prayers and something's gonna happen in their lives eventually. We might get to be a part of it, we might not ever, ever hear of it, but we're gonna begin praying together. And right there in that gym, with all the, the, the heat and the uncomfortability and everything, there's a little bit of the kingdom that shows up in that space. I, uh, you've, you've probably all heard of it. Some of you have participated in this far more than I have, but this past Monday, um, I, I walked over to to this space right here, uh, a little bit before lunchtime, and uh, high schoolers eat lunch before uh, the rest of the population, I think. And um, I don't know their schedule and everything, but we serve pizza for a buck here 
Um, and that, again, for high schoolers. So if you hear that and you're like, oh, I'm gonna drive over to Mosaic on Monday at 11.49 and get some pizza from, no. It's for high schoolers. You could fool us and dress up as one, I suppose, and try that, but like 65 high schoolers walked in here and got pizza. And there's a few that know Jesus, but most of them don't know Jesus. And we've got high school students walking into a church building for the sim simple thing of getting, getting pizza. And the reason that we want to do it is because we actually want to, to see and know by name and to be praying for and care for in some small way. I mean, it's a huge way for a, like a high school freshman guy. I mean, that's like massive pizza, but like, you know, just, it's just a simple sit down for 24 minutes and have a cheap piece of pizza. And yet, what we're praying for and hoping for is that high school students who, who don't hear about Jesus ever, don't even know they're walking into a, a church building, might actually be in a relationship with someone who knows Jesus and come to ask some questions. We started Alpha a few weeks ago on Wednesday nights. We're talking with high schoolers about the most important questions of all of life, believing that some are gonna come to faith in Jesus and then we'll see them we'll baptized here few weeks, few months, few years somewhere else in a completely different place, but a little bit of the kingdom breaking in. We, uh, we support a ministry called Haiti Foundation for Hope and have for about 15 years. About 15 years ago, we started giving regularly to this ministry. And with the, the portion that we give, we're able to fund a full-time, full-time employee in a health center full-time community health worker in Terrablanche, Haiti. If you followed Haiti, we've used to send teams at least once a year. We haven't been able to for the last four, four years, I think, maybe a little bit longer because of the unrest in Haiti. And yet there's this, there's this kingdom outpost there that's got a, a health center and a, and a cafeteria and a school and a library and a church where they're saying there's a good news of the kingdom, that there's a God in the universe who knows your plight, knows your name, knows the hairs on your head and loves you. And we wanna meet your physical needs. We wanna meet your deepest spiritual needs. We wanna meet your educational needs. There's a kingdom outpost there where the good news is being proclaimed and we get to be just a little tiny small part of it. But in a country that is nearly closed right now, where there's so much unrest and lack of infrastructure and lack of government authority and safety and all of that. And yet there's, there's a light there for Jesus. We, uh, we tried this experiment uh, where I think four months, five months into it called triads. Uh, I think there's about 55 of us here that signed up for a triad, uh, got trained. Some of us got trained, some of us didn't get trained and just kind of dove into it. And it's this kind of unique, different, new kind of relationship with three people that, that carve out two hours once a month to listen to the Holy Spirit and to them, to one another and say, this is what we see and hear God doing in your life. Or could this be going on? And some of you are doing that and you're like, yeah, this isn't working for us. I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's totally fine. I've been there. I get that. But you need to know that we're hearing, we're hearing stories come out of those, of where God is showing up in brand new ways, where, where little tiny changes are beginning to happen and turns are beginning to, to happen in life, where the kingdom is showing up in relationships. When he said this, 
all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Would you be delighted at all of the things that God is doing in our midst? We live in a city that has moved so far away from Jesus, if it was ever closer to Jesus, and yet at the same time that we can look as a whole and say it is one of the more post-Christian cities in our nation, you need to know that there is more of the kingdom breaking in and showing up than there ever has been before. And let's not forget that and let's delight in that. There's one more kingdom that we need to mention this morning. It says this in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the the towns and the villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to him, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door. But he will answer, I do not know you, or where you come from. There's a lot in here and there's more to that, that part of the text, but let's stop right there and just acknowledge. The guy asked a question, hey, Jesus, are only a few people gonna, gonna be saved? Like gonna enter into the kingdom? Or is it only a few? And Jesus turns the question around and essentially leads him to ask, will I be saved? Will I be saved? Not some theoretical, conceptual, status, like statistical, how many people, you know, me. And what Jesus is doing in this portion is he's saying, there's a third kingdom that you need to be aware of. And it's my kingdom or your kingdom. So you have a kingdom and you may already know this, but if you don't, can I just tell you, it is really insignificant. Now you are eternally valuable. Jesus knows the hairs on your head. Jesus knows your name and your emotions and your feelings and your dreams and your hopes and every experience you've ever had. And Jesus loves you immensely, so much so that he gave his life for you and for me. But your kingdom is woefully insignificant. And when we try to establish our kingdoms, we are wasting our stinking time because it will go away quickly. And so Jesus says, there is my kingdom, it's a kingdom of heaven, it's the kingdom of God. It's where God's will is done. There is Satan's kingdom, which is battling against mine. And then there is your individual kingdoms where you're putting yourself in the driver's seat or on the throne or is the most important. And Jesus is saying, Hey, you might think by hanging out near me or hearing some of the things that I said by proximity or just simple exposure that you're with me in my kingdom, but you're not. Because what I want is not just simply you standing by close or not simply you just lending an ear and listening, but I want your total and complete and regular and repeated utter surrender of your will. That's what I want. I want you to surrender to me because my kingdom is so much better than your kingdom. And it is so much safer than Satan's kingdom. And it's the one that's going to win and be around forever. And so would you lay down your kingdom? And Jesus says, come and enter into mine, which is so much better. 
but it looks so different. And Jesus ends by saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent, sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus is looking over Jerusalem. He's looking at the people who have turned their backs to him or just lent him an ear for a few minutes but have not surrendered their hearts and he laments and he has compassion on them. And so here's the invitation. We're about to enter Lent. You heard us talk about it earlier. We're about to enter into Lent. Ash Wednesday is a great day to mark on your calendar and to step into this. We did in a, a workshop last Sunday night where we just said, God, how, do you, how can we give you more of our hearts? How can we lay down and surrender more of who we are and be open to what you have to say to us? And so I wanna share two questions with you. As we enter into Lent, it's a great time to mark and say, Jesus, will you do something new in me? And in order to do that, we often need to set something down. And so what is it in this season that you might set down? It could be something as big and as clear as your own kingdom. It could be a practice or a habit. It could be as simple as simple as some kind of food or some kind of time on a screen or a tech. But to say, I got, I'm gonna set something aside and trust you with more of myself. But the second question is this, what can you pick up during this season that Jesus might do something new in you through? And I wanna give you a, a passage. I wanna encourage you to pick up this passage with me. It might be this, it might be something else. Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 through 38 say this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What if we were to pick this up together and pray this over the next number of weeks, five, six, seven weeks, count down to Holy Week and to Easter. And say, Jesus, will you give us this kind of heart where we would look out at those around us that are not experiencing the kingdom and have compassion? Would our hearts break for the things that break your heart? Would we, would we be available for you to do that in us? There's always three kingdoms that exist and we have to choose one. And Jesus is saying, come join me in my kingdom. Lay down your life, trust me, follow me. Coming to this table is the practice that we remind ourselves that is an open invitation to us at all times. For us to repent and turn, to confess, to surrender and to come and say, Jesus, I need you. And so we're gonna continue to sing. And as you're ready, if you come and you take a cup that represents Christ's blood shed for me and for you. And a little cracker that represents his body broken for me and for you. Let's come to the table together and sing together.